On today's episode, we open the request line and start thinking outside the box. It's Curve Decks. Episode four of the Ultimate Deck Podcast. I am back. It's Shane Chapman here with Wade Laurent again. It's going to be us two talking to you today about a topic that was suggested to us from a listener. It's all about curving decks today. But before we get to that, pretty happy to announce that we've actually cracked a hundred downloads on our last podcast, which was the interview with Aztec Carpentry and Dustin Winfield. Cracked a hundred listens within a couple days, and so that's uh, good numbers as far as I'm concerned. Pretty happy with that. So. Today we're gonna flip the script a little bit. I normally am doing the interviewing, but Wade is gonna tackle that today. Wade, you've got a whole bunch of questions you wanna get to, so we're gonna just throw it to you. You're gonna like run this show today. This will be interesting. Yeah, I have a a small list for sure. So some of the questions that I'm curious about, I think I'll just ask and we'll see how that goes. Hopefully I touch on the topics that uh, other people are finding of interest as well. as per usual, if we don't hit the topics, shoot us a message and we'll answer that later if we can. So Yeah, and so curving decking is becoming a trendy topic or thing to do nowadays. Still a fairly niche thing. There's not a ton of guys out there doing it, but certainly a lot more nowadays than there was maybe four or five years ago, thanks to probably a large part Instagram. People are following along and seeing other people doing cool things that aren't just square or rectangles anymore and it's inspiring people to kind of get in there and be a bit more creative. Customers also starting to see these things out there and starting to request little creative touches to their deck. So it's a topic that uh, probably is due for some chatter around it, I think. Certainly, right? Being able to change the shape of a deck from just a, a rectangle or, you know, a knocked off 45 on the one edge, being able to do that has certainly opened up some different design options. And uh, there is a small group of people on Instagram that are showcasing how to do that and how to, you know, push the boundaries. So um, I think on my script, I don't really have a ton of questions regarding different products and temperatures. Do you want to talk about that at all? Do you have any, you want to share kind of which boards you've bent, what the temperatures are for those different boards and which ones you like or dislike? Yeah, let's, uh, so so the questions you have written up are, a little bit of a surprise to me. I don't know how deep we're going to get with the answers on them or what the questions specifically are. So why don't we tackle the temperatures thing at the end unless it happens to come up with one of the questions that you've got in there. Sure. Let's just, like, we'll just wing this. You throw these things at me and hopefully I have answers for, for whatever you're trying to figure out here. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, first question. When did you first think of putting a curve in a deck and how did you do it? So my first curved deck actually wasn't with any sort of heat bending. It was just, uh, we didn't bend the border board. We just simply bent the fascia and ran the fascia up high flush at the top of the decking. So that was, I think, four or five years ago. Uh, I did a Trex deck in Island Mist. The customer came to me. He was getting three quotes. He wanted a curved deck. I was the only one that said, yep, it's possible. The other guys said, no, they couldn't do it. So. I guess just my willingness to try new things was got me that job. He wanted to do the curved border. I told him how much that kit was going to cost me to buy and therefore him to get done. And he shied away from that. And we ended up just doing a kind of a wave curve in the deck. But like I said, just with the fascia kind of wrapped around. So that was about four or five years ago. It was something I had thought about doing, but because of the cost prohibitiveness of 
those kits. I hadn't invested in them, like the kits myself yet. Um, so I basically waited until I found a customer who was willing to do it, experimented with curving first. And then after that thought, well, this is pretty cool. Someday I should buy one of these kits, but I didn't, I didn't do it right away then. So that was the first curved deck. The first one that I curved that actually we used the kits heated and bent. Uh, boy, when was that? That was probably, I think that was three years ago. And I don't know if I can even, oh, I do remember the deck actually. It was a clubhouse deck. Um, down in Harbor Landing area of Regina. Uh, we just did a simple curve on the front of a, a low tier deck. It was a two tier deck. We did a simple curve in the front and then we did a bit of a, a wave curve that followed a rock creek that the customer had in their yard. So the deck kind of followed that rock creek with a little bit of a curve and it was a cool first chance to kind of experiment with heated deck modification. Okay, and so following up on that, you talked about uh, the customer had brought it to you, the idea of doing a curve and you were about to pass that cost of the kit on to the customer. So why did you invest in the equipment? The, when you talk about the kits, you're obviously talking about a heat con kit. Uh, when, when did you first make that investment and how much of that cost did you pass on to your initial customer versus um, basically the recurring cost of getting ready to replace that unit? I don't recall how much of that cost I put onto the first customer. I believe I probably did the first one or two, probably with not much markup once I bought the kits because I, I just wanted to be able to use them and get the a few portfolio shots out there, I suppose. Uh, first bought the kits pretty much just when we opened this store. I think we ended up buying that first kit. And uh, I don't know that I charged that first customer a whole bunch. I think I bought the kit and then found the customers. What I think guys should do nowadays, though, is find the customer first and try to pass off as much of the cost on that customer as you can. They're expensive, so I don't know that putting it all on that first customer is feasible unless it's a very, very large budget job. Um, but I definitely think investing in that kit, probably the wise way to do it is to find the customer first, buy the kit later. Once you have the kit, you're going to want to be pushing that thing because you want to use it. You want to make money off it, right? So, But those kits, in Canadian dollars, the HeatCon kits, they start at 10-foot kit is what? I think about $4,000 yeah, nowadays. Yeah, 39 Yeah, 7400 for the the uh, 20-foot kits. And we actually sell those on our website. So if somebody's looking for those, uh, we can ship those to you. But you can also go the route of the Trex oven. Those, I think that's about a seven to $10,000 investment, if I'm not mistaken, by the time you get the the oven and the, the forming tables and everything else. So it's a big investment. You need to make sure that you're actually going to make some money back off these things and not just let it sit in the garage. Yeah, and, and you talk about wanting to use them because you have the, the kits. So probably twofold, right? Wanting to push yourself and try new curves, different product, you know, play with, for instance, Wolf or play with Clubhouse or Azek, whatever it is. So you're wanting to try different products and also to see what your limits are in addition to recovering some costs for that for that kit, right? Yeah, I don't think my motivation was ever to make more money, rightly or wrongly. I think I was in it more for the creative side and to set myself apart just on the on the craftsmanship and the ability to do things differently. I don't think it was ever, my intention was never, let's buy these kits and increase our margins. I don't think that was in my head, but um, certainly for some people it would be. And I like, obviously you don't want to give away your time just at the sake of creativity, but you know, it's not a horrible strategy for the first couple if, if people aren't really doing it in your market yet. Um, so yeah, I don't, uh, like 
the last few decks I did, we definitely we've definitely got come to a place where we're now charging appropriately for that service of doing it. Uh, you know, it might some of that might be just because it's not as fun as it used to be. <laughs> it was it was fun when you were experimenting and doing it for the first few times, and now curving a deck is just curving a deck. So you want to make sure you're paid appropriately for your time. New love versus uh, ten years. That's in. right. Honeymoon is over. <laughs> uh, was it worth the investment? I think so, personally. Like I, I, you know, we ended up buying two kits, um, so that's a bit of an investment. I believe we bought them before the prices went up, so it was more like a six thousand dollar rather than a seventy, you know, seven thousand dollar investment in the states. That would be a bit cheaper. Again, it depends on who you are. If you're the type of guy who just wants to push through production and build a bunch of small decks and just cash checks, then of course it's not worth it for you. But if you're somebody who's trying to up your game, uh, you know, you care about putting cool things into your portfolio, you, you need some sort of creative outlet, you want to separate yourselves from your competition, you know, you want to give your customers something they didn't know they could have, then of course it's it's worth it for sure. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things that it's, it's, you need to make sure you want it before you buy it or else it's just a lot of money down the drain. Yeah, I think you touched on it perfectly when you said it's, uh, at first you weren't charging enough and now you're actually making money at it right so at the end of the day we all have bills to pay and so you have to make money you have to charge enough to do that right so that's right yeah um next on the docket who really helped you slash taught you how to bend um yeah like who who influenced you and where did you get your info from so i don't know at the time that i got into the heat bending that there was many other guys doing it other than Jason Russell, Dr. Dex, so he was pretty he was pretty early to that game. I, of course, there was other people doing it, but uh, uh, he was maybe one of the few doing it on Instagram where I could actually follow along. Uh, so he'd be one for sure. I think that uh, there was, and I, I was never one that wanted to experiment with the whole idea of a sauna tube and a propane heater. <laughs> like, I never bothered with that junk. I kind of waited until there was some sort of, like, until the heat con kits were affordable and I could get my hands on one of those. I never wanted to experiment with with these rigged up systems that just ended up burning a bunch of deck boards. I figured I'd let somebody else learn from those mistakes, but <laughs> I would say uh, probably the idea, I don't remember like specific projects or anything, but probably Dr. Dex would be the big one. Of course then, and I don't know the timelines of when guys got into it, but Infinite Dex and Four Quarters Design Build, um, you know, those are two guys that are really killing it on curved decks as well. So there's lots of guys out there now, right? If you're looking for inspiration now, there's tons of it out on Instagram you can follow now. But, you know, three or four years ago, it was probably mostly mostly Jason. Yeah, I remember we had a conversation one time in the old shop. We were trying to bend a Trex board and we were chatting back and forth with Jason about different temperatures and how to how to mess with the heat um, to try and get that Trex board to bend. Uh, he was good, right? He gave us a ton of info. Never, never everything that you need because the best way to learn is to kind of fail a little bit, right? So he was giving us pointers, try this, try that. And I think you end up just sort of figuring your way through it yourself with some guidance from a few guys, right? So, Yeah, and I think that we were trying to tackle something that night. We were just sitting around having drinks, trying to, trying to do what we could do, playing around with it. But uh, <laughs> I think we had a pretty aggressive goal the first time was to take a, a Trex Transcend board to a four-foot radius and, and uh, not something that's really too possible to pull off perfectly but we i think we did pretty good for our first one there that's not even true that wasn't our first one our first one we burnt the crap out of if i remember correctly we were we were uh, building our store and we thought well let's throw a chunk of tracks into this oven here and try it out and right yeah you know this 
this controller will beep. It says it's going to beep when it's ready. So, and we didn't know how long this thing was supposed to take. And man, we let that thing cook in there for, I don't even know what it was, hour and a half, two hours, kind of longer. <laughs> and this thing wasn't beeping. And uh, all of a sudden we smelled burning plastic run over and we just got like, like stepping in gum with your shoe, just stringing plastic, peeling <laughs> off these blankets. Yeah. And find out that our uh, our probe wasn't working properly in the kit that we got. <laughs> so we really cooked one early and, and learned the hard way right away, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to jump forward on my list. I'll go to composites versus PVCs. So uh, you've bent a little bit of both for sure. Everybody knows that you work a lot more with PVCs. Um, State the obvious, I guess. I mean, PVCs are 10 times easier to curve. That's the obvious point. I think if anybody's about to get into it and they're, especially on the first, like if you're just starting out i think that's the easiest one to learn on for sure it just takes less time there's less chance of ruining a board uh it's less finicky with your temperatures etc like you can bend and of the brands clubhouse would be the easiest to to kind of to learn on it's the most uh pliable i would say without wrecking a board so i mean for example a clubhouse board you could easily bend in like if it's warm outside and you're outside with your blankets you could bend that in 20 minutes and you're you're forming it and ready to go Whereas you take a, you know, a, a big dense composite like a Trex, you're an hour and a half in the oven to get it there. And it's a little bit more tricky to get it there without melting the cap off and you have a higher chance of wrecking the board, etc. But PVCs in general are much easier to work with. Okay. Uh, you've mentioned Trex oven. Have you had the opportunity to work with a Trex oven? Uh, we talk about, you know, the, the different types there are of different types of ways to heat the board. So you have a Trex oven, we have the heat con, which we're familiar with. And then I've seen some glycerin baths that guys have put together. Uh, what are your thoughts? And have you worked with any of the other ones or talked to guys that have? So my only experiences with the heat con kits, I haven't used a Trex oven in person. I have, I have seen them. I'm familiar with how they work. I considered it very heavily when I got into it. Um, my opinion, like I, Obviously, I bought a heat con, so I must have thought that was better for whatever reasons. But, well, I know what reasons they were. The reasons were you weren't limited in the length of the board you could do. So I could buy a 20-foot kit and do a full board in one piece, whereas the Trex kit, you're limited to eight feet. So that that alone, I think, is a huge benefit on the heat con side. Um, also, you've got... Uh, things like the fact that it's more portable. So the heat con kits pack up in a suitcase size kit that you carry along with you or a briefcase even size kit. And so you can do that on site. The Trex oven is a big steel box. You need to have it mounted somewhere to take it somewhere or it's it's just not as mobile. Uh, cost was a big thing. So a 10 foot heat con kit is half the price of doing a Trex oven. Um, they obviously both they both work guys use lots of them like the trex kit probably has more out in the market than the hecon kits do but those are the reasons i really like the hecon kits the top three reasons i would say yeah as for the glycerin bath i've never done that i didn't even know that was a thing until about two years ago when i saw some instagram posts from four quarters design build it that's how they did their deck boards was in a in a glycerin bath my god that seems like a messy <laughs> yeah that just seems like something i wouldn't be interested in getting into but i see the benefits of it in that your te- like the controlling the temperature is much easier. I could see that being uh, much less risky as far as ruining boards. But man, I just like boiling that stuff in a vat of oil and then pulling it out and f- having to form it in a garage somewhere is just not my idea of fun. But it certainly seems like an effective way to do it. It's like that 
sous vide cooking, right? It's very, <laughs> That's right. Very on point right maybe, now. Maybe we're onto something here. We'll have to throw a sous vide machine in a bath of oil or something. <laughs> Just do some water. Do it yeah. on site. Yeah. Maybe somebody's swimming pool. You can boil it up to temperature. Yeah. Um, where do we go next? Let's do the... So Robert Deck Da Vinci talks about how curves are very trendy, but sometimes not necessary. Um, I think that he makes a pretty valid point there. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, they're not necessary in every deck. Obviously, you don't want to force a curve into somewhere where it doesn't make sense. It should make sense in the overall aesthetic of the backyard or the other features on the deck and everything. Like, there's no point in just forcing curves into a design. But I do think that they have a like on a lot of decks they can make a lot of sense they can they can make for a more interesting space maybe they make you know maybe they can you know use a space in the backyard that couldn't have been used or would have looked less attractive if it was done in squares you know just kind of fortify 45ing around things if you've got a round swimming pool well obviously a round deck around the round swimming pool makes more sense than to chop it up into sections i think so there's certainly times where it makes sense and times where it doesn't. So I agree that it's a trend, but yeah, it's it's like any trend. You don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it. It should make sense. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I meant by that. So I believe that what Robert was talking about, so he did a video about it. I want to say that this video was last year sometime on Instagram that I saw it. And he was talking about, you know, guys are putting out, out curved decks just simply to sell their customer a curved deck so that they could do something cool. And I know that you and I had talked about it a little bit. So I just wanted to know if, yeah, if you had thought more about that. So around a pool makes perfect sense. Landscapers, for some reason, always want to do riverbeds of rock on the ground, right? And so following that seems to work. Um, curved sectionals, sunken living rooms, etc. right? So. Yeah, I think it's like any design trend. I mean, it, you know, just because you know, a diamond pattern wallpaper comes to trend at some point doesn't mean you should do your whole house in diamond pattern wallpaper, you know, leave that for a feature wall or for a bathroom, powder room, whatever. It's got its place. Don't overdo trends. Yep. I, think that's a, I think it's a good rule of thumb for any trend, not just curved decking, but any trend. You know, even this, it just fits sometimes. We look at crystal rail sitting behind you here. I'm looking at it. That doesn't work on every deck. Just because something's cool and interesting doesn't mean you should put it on every project. Yep. Um, next question. If someone is on the fence about how to curve, who should they be watching right now? Oh boy. Uh, there's so many guys doing it. I mean, I would say infinite decks is a really good follow right now on Instagram because they post quite a bit about the curving that they're doing. Um, they pretty much put a, a circle or some sort of curve in almost every job that they do. So I think that's a good one to watch. Uh, obviously Dr. Dex is out there still doing a bit of curving, uh, trying different things as well. Oh man, there's so many now. Um, those are the two that come to the top of my head right away. Uh, who else is out there doing it? I mean, there's a bunch, right? <laughs> Just search Instagram for curved decks. And I'm sure you'll find it. There's so many guys doing it now. So I know we've sold kits into Saskatoon. The MG decks, I guess, is an obvious one. MG decks is doing some curves decks. Um, Scully's Custom Carpentry. Those are two guys locally that that we know that are doing it. Uh, there's guys up in Edmonton. Sousa Construction's doing it. Um, yeah, there's tons of guys out there doing it now. So Maverick decks out of Calgary. There's yeah, a lot. They're doing some, right? Yeah, a lot of those guys just don't post as much. So um, if you're, you know, you're better off, better chance of seeing what you're wanting to see by following guys like Infinite Decks. Right. Um, last year you did a deck with uh, an 11-inch circle in the deck. It was a clubhouse board. So 
why did you do the circle period and was that your goal the 11 inch circle did it because i could (laughs) (laughs) why not i I actually didn't know i could when i decided to do that um so i did it because it made sense with what we were trying to do so i wasn't just trying to force it into the deck but it was an opportunity to do something that hadn't really been done in a deck before and it made sense i it was part of a bigger picture literally a bigger picture in the deck so um, the project you're referring to is that one out at Kanata Valley that we ended up winning some awards for at the Nadra show. Um, that deck was, it was large and it had this big blank canvas and it was using a solid color Timurtech Rustic Elm board. So it was just, it was a big canvas and I felt like it needed something to liven the space up and add some interest. Um, so I, I don't know why this came to me, but one day I was out there and I just kind of looked at the view off the end of the deck and the view was two big evergreen trees, a lake, and some rolling hills. And all of a sudden I was like, holy smokes, what if we did a mural in the middle of this deck? Like right in that spot where that little pergola sits, if we just did a mural there. And so uh, I decided that we should do that. And so I thought, well, no problem. We can curve the boards for the rolling hills. That's no problem. We can put some trees on there. But the like the big thing here is the sun's in the sky shining down. We should do a sun. And then you start brainstorming, well, how are you going to do the sun? Obviously, you could have ran straight boards and just cut them into a circle, which would have been the easy way to do it. But I thought, hell no, <laughs> let's try something that's never been done before and see if we can pull off this super tight circle and make a sun out of a circle because that would be very cool and creative and not done before. So, um, like, there were some guys, like Dr. Dex had tried some tight radiuses before. Uh, I believe at the time, at least from the hearsay that I had heard, it was like Kim. I don't even know how you say his last name, Kim Cadwick, I think had kind of the world record tightest bend at 22 inches or something like that in an actual deck. Guys that had experimented going smaller, but not in an actual use. So I thought, well, let's go tighter than that. And it needed to be proportionate to the, to the mural we were doing. So I felt we had to get pretty tight. I believe the first attempted radius that we were going after was nine and a half inches, I think. And I tried once or twice at that radius and then thought like, boy, that's that's pushing it. Maybe we should loosen this off a little bit. I thought that at 11 inches, the sun would still be proportionate and good. Um, so we loosened it off a little bit. I think it took us a good six tries to get that. That was an expensive sun <laughs> to make. It required a lot of heat and it was a like super precise temperature we had to hit on that, which is tough to do with those heat gun kits. Uh, but it worked in the end. We ended up getting a board that was pretty much flawless. It ended up at exactly an 11 inch radius. Um, we got it cut into the deck. It was a lot of work, but it turned out amazing. Yeah. What? Do you have an idea what the cost was, the sun? All in? Yeah. I believe it took us six tries, and um, Clubhouse board is 120, 130 bucks Canadian, but each of those tries was with a 10-foot board, and we were cutting up 20, so three boards worth, probably, so like $400 Canadian or so to, you know, in, in burnt-up materials trying to get that right. And time. A lot of time. So you're easily eight hundred dollars, right? Thousand dollar sun. Yeah, there was Canadian. There was for sure some time if you added the time in there, because um, we, we tried to do an on site first. We made a template on site, heated the boards up, had three of us there trying to make that thing work, and we got so cl- it was so encouraging because the first time we tried it was super close. We almost got it the very first try. It bubbled a little bit or creased or something, and I was so encouraged. I was like, "Holy smokes, we're this close." on the first try, like we got this. We're gonna do this, Yeah, this absolutely. is gonna happen. <laughs> tried the second one, I think it bubbled before we even got it out of the blanket, so that one was toast, tried it again. I think we tried it four, 
four or five times on site. And then it was kind of like, you know what, let's, let's try this back at the shop, um, you know, where we've got some extra hands and a more flat surface. And it's just a little bit easier to work with. And we, you know, we ended up getting it at the shop. I think we maybe had four hands trying to get that thing uh, to work. But yeah, so time, I have no idea. I mean, it takes time for the thing to cook and then time to lay down. And, you know, there's probably man hours. There's probably 20 some hours into that thing, likely. Yeah. Okay, that was it for my scripted questions. Um, Let's roll right into the temperature. What temperature did you have that clubhouse board at when you got that to, to finally go? Yeah, so this is a... This is a question everybody needs to know when they start getting into bending is like, what temperature do I set this thing at? That specifically, it depends on how tight you're going to go with the radius and what material you're using, right? So Clubhouse, I find pretty good success at, most PVC is pretty good success at about the 220 Fahrenheit mark. On Clubhouse, I've gone lower, like I've pulled boards out of the heater at 190, 195. And if you're just doing like a seven foot radius, that's probably enough. But anything down around that four foot mark, you probably need to be down like into the 220, 230 mark. That 11 inch sun, I think we were like, we had this number dialed into, I think 243 degrees or something like that. Like it was super precise because at 245, it bubbled every time. So you had, and at 240, it would crease if you tried to bend it. You had like a three degree window that you had to hit or, and you're trying to do that, you know, on this blanket that isn't super stable with temperature. So you like you're, you gotta be on it like a hawk. And it starts dropping as soon as you're out of the blankets, right? That's right, yeah, you've got, if you have, if you're messing with a, with a three degree window, your template has to be less than a foot from the blankets so you can get it in there and start, start going. Well, and your outside temperatures are gonna matter, right? If it's 30 degrees Celsius, which is 90 degrees Fahrenheit outside, then you've got a little bit more time to work with it. But if it's, you know, if it's 60 degrees outside Fahrenheit, then you've got a lot less time before that thing starts to take shape. So that one was very specific. Um, we It took those all those five or six tries to dial in that temperature. And, and I remember the number being 243, I think is exactly what it was that it had to be at. And so obviously that was super tight. Um, different brands require different things. All PVCs are going to be in that low 200s for your normal bends. Uh, if you need to get tighter than that, then you can push it to 250, but it's a very fine line before that stuff starts to bubble. So you got to yeah. keep an eye on it. The top goes, right? Yeah. That's almost how it, almost always how it fails is that top bubbles on your end. Yeah. So. The composites, they require more heat. So uh, the success we've had with Trex, we were pushing it up to 275-ish. But the problem with that is that the cap stock layer on Trex starts to bubble around 230, 240. So you gotta be careful with that. You gotta get your blankets off the top, but keep cooking from the bottom, or you get yourself a kit that can control temperatures differently or a different controller on the top blanket. You gotta do something, right? They can't heat up at the same time. So that one's a little bit trickier, but yeah, you gotta get into the 275 range, I would say for most composites. And again, it depends on how tight you're going, but they are definitely trickier to work with than PVC. So speaking of that, you you triggered a, a memory from Baltimore. We were there. I saw Kim and was chatting with him, and he was talking about the new controller that he was doing. Is there any word on that being out? I know that he was working on putting a controller together that operated the top blanket and bottom blanket at different temperatures, and I believe that that was... I believe he was trying to launch that this year, but I don't know if it actually came. Yeah, I don't know where that's at either. I looked it up a little bit when we got back. I believe it was called like 
in Blazin or something to that effect. I don't recall exactly. I mean, it was a logical next step for the Hecon blankets, so you, you should be able to control the blankets differently. So it's something that lots of guys in the industry were talking about, right? Because of your cap stock, it's a totally different it's a totally different material than the core of the board. Yeah. So obviously you need to run them at different temperatures, right? Yeah. So I think it was anytime anybody uses those blankets the first time on treks, they're like, well, why can't you control these blankets separately? So a good natural progression. I have no idea where that's at. I'd have to do some research and see, but um, potentially it's out there. There's also some guys, I believe uh, Dunning and Decking in the, I believe it was him in the Australia, I believe, you know, found another manufacturer in China that makes the controllers and blankets, whatever. So Hecon's the brand name one. Um, there's other options out there if you dig deep enough that can probably save you money. Whether they work as good or not, I don't know. Right. Um, what else? Wolf. We did Wolf. I thought that one was quite a bit warmer when we did our showroom here, right? Uh, it was a lot more resilient, I thought. Yeah. Wolf is a little bit trickier. I think we were pushing that one up to like 240, 250, but it's also super tricky because it'll bubble on you when you get up around there too. So like I said, if for somebody experimenting, if you can get your hands on clubhouse, that is by far the easiest way to go. Like, I don't think we could have done that 11 inch radius with any other board. Like maybe that's, maybe that's not true. Maybe it sort of took 10 tries instead of six. I don't know. But in my experience working with all these things, you know, a dark clubhouse color is your best chance at doing a super tight radius. Yeah. But I would say on any deck, like just for the sake of your sanity, I always told people if they want to do a deck with a curve in it, fine. But I really encourage them to do a PVC border. Even if the rest of your deck is going to be a composite, do a PVC border because it's just going to take me less time and you less money to pull this curve off just by doing that. So for example, that deck with the mural and the sun in it, that was all timber tech composite throughout the, uh, field of the deck but it was all clubhouse ipe uh borders and mural pieces so the bending was was more manageable less yeah. risky yep okay anything else you want to touch on that we didn't um that, like i guess you can see some of these guys out there like the cur the idea of doing the curves in the deck isn't restricted to just the deck so you've seen guys like MG Dex, they've done some cool privacy walls with curved you know, boards that they've heated up. Obviously the world of house trim with you know, Versatex or Azec white cellular PVC, that stuff can be heated and molded and bent too. So if you're a guy who isn't necessarily just specializing in decks, but you think you'd wanna get a heat kit, well, there might be an opportunity for you, you, you to use that in other ways as well. You can start molding your trims and whatnot too. So. It, you know, there's the idea of making your decks more creative, but there's also the benches and the privacy walls and the different little features that you can do. I, like we're doing one next year, not next year, it's kind of like happening right now for a, another contractor and we're gonna bend like this cool shape that's gonna be more of a decorative piece to a pergola. So it's not even part of the deck really. And so, you know, there's there's ways you can pull out these kits and, and make use of them more than just curving a border on a deck, you know? Yeah, you could maybe even set up and do a little bit of production, right? So possibly paying off your kit by offering curved stairs say right like that seems to be a pretty that's a pretty natural thing set up a template lay out your pattern and then curve some boards for a set of steps and you could sell that to a homeowner right not not sell them the whole install just sell them the curved boards um i believe that is it Curve Your Deck? Is that the guy that's doing that, right? I was just looking that up to make sure I had his username exactly correctly, but there, there is that opportunity. You don't, so there's two ways to go about this. You can, 
you can keep this as an exclusive service that you offer to set yourself apart from your competition and you're the only guy in town that does curved decks or you can do what uh, Dennis has done from Curve Your Deck, that's his Instagram username, and he just subcontracts his services. So he has the kits, he's got the know-how, other contractors pay him to do the curving for them. So he does curving for, I think he's doing some for Paula France, he does a lot of curving for displays for clubhouse themselves, etc. So there's another way to go about it. If you wanna keep yourself busy with curving, subcontract that out, make money on the kit, etc. That was, I never enjoyed that as much it, because it, you were you were creating somebody else's job. You know, I, I like the credit. I like the I, coming up with the idea, framing it, doing it, curving it, and like being involved start to finish. But certainly, that's another way to pay for the kit. Sort of like your baby from start to finish, right? It's that's like right. this yep. is I did it. Um, yeah, I I don't know I don't know that it would be of interest to me personally, but yeah, it works for some people, right? So that's a way to do it, yeah. Anyways, this is a great topic. I can't remember who suggested it. Uh, you know what? I think I do. I believe it was a, a gentleman on Instagram by the name of Simco Dex. I think he uh, gave us some feedback from a previous podcast and said, hey, I'm super interested. I'm about to get into this. I'd like to hear a little bit more about curving decks, how that all works. So I'm, I hope that this episode answered a lot of questions, removed. I don't know. If, I think we. I think it was pretty thorough, right? We talked about materials, the cost, et cetera. We for sure got a lot of name drops in. Right? Got a lot of name drops in there. So uh, if your name is mentioned, you have to repost and share this podcast. Yeah. That's the rule. Or even just follow. Don't, yeah, don't cop out. <laughs> you need to subscribe and share if we dropped your name because, you know, there's 18 people listening that'll know about you. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, with the, how we're trending, this is going to be huge. No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, this was a great episode. I think it was a good technical episode to talk about. It's very trendy. I think curving, I think might have been a, like aesthetic features is one of our top five trends for 2019. So this plays right into that. So if anybody has any more questions that we didn't touch on, again, follow us on Instagram through the two accounts that I operate. Uh, the first account being the ultimate deck shop. And then my second personal account, which is the Shane Chapman account. And either of those, I'll check and uh, see any feedback, comment on the post we make. If you want to hear something you haven't heard yet, we'd be glad to touch on it. Tune in next week. We got a little surprise. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Have a great week. Thanks, guys.